Your stories don't define you. How you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker of Elkins Consulting. Many of my clients reach out to me because they're in transition. Their children are hitting milestone ages. They want more from their work. They're hitting a big number birthday. And they want to develop clarity about their natural strengths, what their next adventure might look like. In this series, you'll hear me ask my guests questions to dig deeply into the stories that shaped their lives, stories that uncover patterns and may unveil insights into dissatisfaction and also where their strengths lie and where they found and continue to find joy. This podcast's intention is to have listeners think of their own related stories and how they tell them, discovering the internal messages that are limiting their success and discovering how to shift their stories so they become positive life lessons to move them forward. If you're curious about what it would be like to work with me, visit elkinsconsulting.com and schedule a one-time 90-minute StrengthsFinder session. I couldn't be more excited to speak with my guest today, Harpreet Gulman. Almost immediately knew that we needed to talk to each other. And I, I don't know who reached out to whom, but I was so glad when we finally did connect over the phone And of course, shortly after that, I had to invite her to be on my podcast because we share a lot in common, but I think um, Harpreet's ideas about how to demonstrate we will share are very different from mine, and I'm super excited to do that. So Harpreet, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Sarah. It's lovely being here. So um, as you know, I always start my podcast by asking a guest to share something about themselves that most people don't know, something that's not on your LinkedIn profile or your resume. Um, So what do you think? What do you have to share with us? So for me, maybe I would like to share my purpose in life, which probably isn't very visible on LinkedIn or a lot of people wouldn't really know. So my purpose is very simple, Sarah. I want to see a lot of people in the leadership positions. And elevating women is a value which really keeps me alive and kicking. And as you know, I really love the words of Ruth Ginsburg, who said that women need to be there at all the places where decisions need to be made. And I love it because women's leadership matters. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, for me, my purpose, I think it's my ikigai that I've found. And uh, probably this happened... uh, Five years back when there was a breakthrough moment for me when I realized that I am privileged. And I always say that that privilege is not always about having a lot of money, a lot of successes. Privilege is about to be who you are, to live authentically, being you in a world where everybody's trying to change you. And I feel that I'm very fortunate to have that kind of upbringing where we were encouraged to create our own rule book, challenging status quo and living our dreams courageously. So I think uh, my value of serving women is something which keeps me alive. And I'm not too sure how many of them really know about this. Mm, I love that. And it's so unique in my hundreds of interviews I've done on this podcast I don't think anyone has talked specifically about why their purpose may not be as visible or known, um, because I, I think most of us forget that people don't know that about us, what, why we serve in the way that we serve. So thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. So um, speaking of 
that privilege. That's exactly what our theme is today, is talking about the privilege of living the life that you choose um, under the conditions that you choose them. And we talked about this briefly in our first conversation when we first met, and I hadn't ever thought of it in that way, that um, my ability to make choices that feel right to me, uh, that's a privilege. So I, I love the way that you put that together. So tell me about that moment when you realized that it was a privilege and that others don't have that privilege and you needed you you needed your you were compelled to help guide people to find that in themselves. So as I said, Sarah, uh, I think this happened very recently, five six years back, and I remember it was a week before Women's Day, and uh, I was in my corporate avatar and heading some capability function at that point in time, and we were supposed to be working on. Uh, event for the Women's Day, right? And women came up and they say, we had a group of team, all of us were having a dialogue, what needs to be done? And everybody's like, you know, we need to have some gifts or some freebies and stuff like that. And I'm like, come on, you know, would you like it? Would you like to have a freebie when there are these men who are not getting it, right? And what is this Women's Day? Every day is our day. And, but there were a few women, they said, no, we would like to be appreciated and stuff and so on. I think the meeting got over and uh, I was just reflecting on it. This was not the first time. Even a year before when the Women's Day came, there were a lot of women who got very excited with Women's Day. And for me, I was like, what the hell, you know, value me every day and every day is my day. (laughs) I think a couple of years went by and five years back, the year that I'm talking about, when I was having a dialogue with the women, I realized, no. Harpreet, you have been privileged to treat every day as your day, there are a lot of women who are not privileged and therefore they feel that at least this day is dedicated to them. That was really a big turning point in my life, Sarah, the way I was seeing other women. Mm. Wow. You just reminded me of um, one of the first things I said to my husband when we were dating 27 years ago. And um, I said, I don't like Valentine's Day. If you're waiting for one special day in the year to tell me you care about me, that I'm important in your life, that you love me, we're already done. (laughs) I want to know every day that you choose me. And when I think about it in the context of what you just said, that is a privilege to have those words to use, to know that I deserve that. And it's the same for these women who don't realize that they deserve this every day. They've earned it. And every human, not just women, of course, every human can earn that ability to have that life. So, um, gosh, wow. So when you had this aha moment, Was there a particular time shortly after that you had an opportunity to guide another woman toward that, that idea of living that authentic, this is what I want kind of life? So that, that women's day, I still very clearly remember. And I asked myself, 
now that you're in awareness of your privilege, you have a voice. You've taken your decisions, right? Mm -hmm. What is that you're going to do to enable or elevate other women? So there were a few commitments I made to myself. I am going to show up for all the women empowerment sessions. I never used to go to them. I used to hate the word women empowerment because I felt that nobody needs to empower me. But then when I realized that, you know, I'm privileged and there are these another set of women, unfortunately for them, the dominant voice has been their father's voice or their partner's voice, right? First thing is to show up. I started showing up, not as a speaker, as a participant, being one of them. I think that was a starting point. Mm -hmm. Because you had to understand where they were coming from before you could help them. I wanted to understand. And I said, oh, my God, I've been living in a life, you know, which was my story. So let me understand. And every such session I would attend as a participant, I would sit there quietly and hear the challenges. And of course, not that I had not seen them but they were not very visible to me because of my story being so strong in my life. Oh, okay. We need to unpack that a little bit. So I used to hate it when people would say, we must unpack that or let's unpack that because I think it's kind of a weird phrase, but this is a really um, critical piece here. That idea that um, you you were listening to their challenges and they were familiar to you, but you never saw them in the way that they were being discussed among these women that didn't have the kind of upbringing you had. Oh, that's intense. And I, feel, <laughs> and I felt shitty, Sarah. I think uh, maybe I've, I, judged, I judged them in my mind. What's wrong with them? Why aren't they taking charge of themselves? Right. Well, it's easy to feel judgmental when you see people that appear to be victims that don't seem to have the motivation to, to move out of that stage. It's easy to go into that. So I think you being a participant in these events and a listener was a huge part of your personal growth, right? Absolutely, because I would always go as a speaker. I said, no, I'm going to listen. Mm. So that was a conscious choice to go as a listener and just listen. So what was one story that you heard that really was had a big impact on you? I mean, I'm, I can kind of see your wheels turning. You have a memory of sitting in one particular session and hearing a group of women or one woman in particular. I can kind of see this memory popping into your face. I can actually see myself going back to my first session that I went as a listener. I don't remember any one particular story, Sarah, but I remember multiple voices, how their father's dominance, their husband's dominance, their boyfriend's dominance decided what they wanted to be. They decided for them how hard it was for them to live an authentic life. It was about others first, and then it was about them. Even coming to this workshop, it was about was seeing 
if you know husband is there if he's okay with me going out which means taking care of my children i was like for such small decision you dependent on somebody what about taking big decisions moving from one place to another relocating so i think there were many voices for me it was like i was making my own decisions i wanted to move from country a i wanted to move from city b the roles i wanted to pick it was all about me and uh, so i think couple of voices uh, which really make me look inside and you know and ask me for deeper commitment what is that you're going to do to help other women amplify their voices unfortunately they've not had the upbringing like you but what is that you can do in the means that you can do and after that sara there was no looking back and i had found my ek guy and i can tell you sara at that time i remember all my friends used to ask me oh how are you feeling and stuff and you doing so well in life and there was something inside me and i was like yeah i know i'm earning well things are great but i don't feel fulfilled i didn't know what that was now in retrospect i can tell you but at that time i didn't know my friends would say you have everything you decide you do what you have to but i wasn't fulfilled i didn't feel that way and now when i look back i think it was in search of my ek guy which is like serving women mm-hmm. and i feel very contented so i i would like to ask two questions we'll start with was there a time in your youth when either your mother or your father had influence on you that you could kind of pinpoint a particular incident like when you decided to get a degree in a particular area or when you got your first job or something where you felt like now you look back and you realize that that's what that support was um and then the second part of that question will be who was the first person you remember serving and did you do it well or do you feel like um when you look back you think well i i could have handled that better <laughs> So I think uh, my mom and dad they're my biggest role models and I always have immense gratitude so I can't pinpoint one I think when I look back and reflect everything what I am today these are small things which probably uh the values probably or the environment which my parents created for me and my brother largely what comes to my mind there was never no as an answer we never spoke about there is a problem i never heard my mom and dad saying oh we are stuck oh my god oh my god what do we do now all i remember right now even when i'm talking to you what do we do now what's next so i've never heard that a panic in the house when there is a problem or something like that and my mom has been a big role model she would go out uh, you know my dad was in the army he was be posted in a, a remote area and we were staying with a mom and my mom would just tell us when going out that you know what i'm going for a minor surgery i'm going to be back tomorrow that's how we were brought up and we thought it's just okay to have a surgery and come back and uh, this this was my mom we've never since there's never been a panic or anything around and it just felt that you want to do something just go ahead and do for it so i think being courageous uh 
chasing dreams, I think questioning, being curious. And I think all that has been embedded in my uh, childhood very, very strongly. And one thing, Sarah, I wanted to say, the focus was never on the outcome. I remember my mom and dad saying, keep trying, don't focus on the outcome, enjoy the process. We would laugh on our failures. We would really celebrate our failures the way we would celebrate our successes. And last value, which probably stayed with me is serving. I think my mom, dad probably, you know, would always say, you don't need, I remember that statement very categorically. You don't need a lot of money. You need a big heart. There will never be enough money that you would feel is right to give it to somebody. So you need to have a big heart to serve. And I think serving others was a value I have taken again from my mom and dad. And I've just seen them role modeling. They haven't said that. I've seen them practicing it. Right, right. I had a few memories pop up as you were speaking. And one was um, that when my mother decided to go back to school, she had finished her degree in education when she was younger and had two toddlers at home. And then when my brother, to be a teenager, decided to go back to four-year college to become a nurse. And I remember how hard she worked. I have these images in my head of her um, going up to study the warmest room. We were living in Colorado Springs and the warmest room in the house was her little bathroom where she could close it off and it would be super quiet. She would literally down on the floor in the bathroom to study because it was warm and quiet. <laughs> and I have this vivid memory of um, helping out, you know, doing, making food, making dinners for our family because my mom was studying. And I also have a vivid memory of her graduation day. She graduated summa cum laude, the, a bachelor's degree in nursing. So she had an RN after four years. And I remember going to her graduation and wa- watching her walk across the stage in this oh. pride. <laughs> yes. And really, clearly it inspired me because um, many years later, when my boys were in fourth grade and sixth grade, I went back to school for an MBA. And I remember thinking, um, if my mom could do it, I could do it too. So that I'm, I'm having this, this flood of memories of specific incidents that I can, I have this vision of my mother doing these things and my father in some way being supportive. I don't remember any particular images of him supporting. I do remember him making dinners when she was studying or um, keeping the house quiet when she was working nights to do her clinical or working nights, the first job out of college. So yeah, a whole bunch of floods of memories coming <laughs> to me. So um, now it comes to this point where um, you want to serve. And I think a big, a big thing that happens with coaches is that we have this idea that we want to serve and we want to so badly that sometimes we get in our own way of serving because we have this idea, this vision of how we serve, you know, in our first couple of times, I can tell you, I had a couple of coaching clients that I look back now and with this cringeworthy moments as a, you know, an early in my career coaching. So do you have one of those that you wouldn't mind sharing? I think it would be initial days, uh, you know, when I wanted to help someone and uh, I think it would be, 
it would be I when I look back, I don't think it was a help. Maybe it did help her, but it was helping her be who I am. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. So so this was like years back. And I think as so yes, I have those moments, you know, when you really get onto the case and I really want to help you. And I'm like, oh my God, am I really helping her? Yes, I did get her out of a problem, but then I'm just forcing her to be who I am. Can I just hold the space? for her to be who she is so so i do have these uh, moments uh, you know when i think of and uh, so right now for me uh so coaching is one part of it right mm-hmm. and i feel that we all need not be coaches to help someone it's there there are these easy ways that i can tell you my commitment of helping women for me i am like number 1 if i have an issue with a woman i will go and tell her it might help her i will never talk in her back number 2 walking on a street going at a airport if i find someone wearing a lovely top or carrying a great purse i will walk up and compliment her you don't know what compliment can do to that woman at that day number 3 I just want to be able to hold the space and be a cheerleader. Every woman has that power. The power is there inside that woman. It's just a matter of recognizing it and stepping into it. So for me, I remember when I committed that to myself, uh I wasn't a full-fledged coach. I was a corporate professional and I said, "Can you quantify how is that you're going to be helping women other than supporting and showing up at the at these sessions?" I said, "I asked myself uh you know i do a lot of self talk what is the most precious thing for you and after thinking i said time time is something which is never going to come back i said that's the day i decided i will give 1/10th of my time towards the women so my husband knows it and people who are close to me any woman who calls me or if i'm walking on a street and i see somebody in trouble how matter how busy i am I will spend that time with that person. Yes, because of this there are days I have to sleep little less, but the joy of helping that women, elevating that women is much more than sleeping 2 hours extra. So 1/10th of my time I serve women in different ways what I can do other than coaching. So like what can you give me a specific example of a recent time that you did that? So so one of my family friends you know just called up and uh stuck with some personal issues right and i held space largely if you see people just want someone to hear them mm-hmm. they want a space where they don't want to be judged right and for us women whenever things go wrong we associate with our self worth so it's it's just right. taking out time right and just being there for that person listening to that person and then it's not over and then i was following it up to check if that's okay and there are three women i'm doing right now they're not my coaches they just called up in an interaction i realized are you okay what's doing what's happening with you so that they know that somebody's checking on them So these are small things uh and yes at times I can I'm sure I can land up in a mess you know if I see something happening in a street and I have walked up 
and uh, do you need help? And I'm okay. You know, if somebody says, no, I'm fine, but I would still want to offer. Right. Right. Hmm. So it's kind of a, a mentoring relationship because it's a conscious effort to hold space for somebody and, and give them your energy. So I, I consider that kind of a mentoring, which is not the same thing as coaching. I don't think, although it can, it can cross those boundaries, but that's really you're right, Sarah. You're, you're right. And uh, I know some people would come and say, Harpreet, you know, there's a lot you can do and you're spending so much of time. I said, serving women gives right. me so much of energy that I thrive in the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I can never imagine that um, giving that kind of gift is going to have any negative repercussions if you are doing it with great intention and with consciousness toward the other person. And I, I had to kind of quantify or qualify that because there have been times where I've tried to help and realized that my help wasn't wanted or wasn't valued. And um, there are negative consequences for that. So how do you approach somebody? Um, you, you mentioned a woman walking in and seeing a woman on the street or in the side on the sidewalk that appears to be struggling. How do you approach that so that she knows that you're there to serve and not for any other reason or um, not to insult? Cause I know sometimes I've offered help to women and they've been insulted by it. Yeah. That's uh, I never thought about that way. And I think, you know, when I see someone in trouble, And uh, so what comes to my mind, I don't know, I was traveling with my mom, some international airport, I don't know if it was Vietnam, Uh, we we, we were just checking in and uh, there was this woman really crying and, uh, you know, she was with a guy, I'm assuming her partner and there was a lot of risk. I stood there and I don't know, I just felt very uncomfortable. She was crying publicly. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know. I just went. And uh, so I didn't just point to her and I point towards both of them because then I'm assuming that uh, it's just the girl who's in uh, trouble and not the other. So I was giving benefit of doubt. So I think I'm very sensitive when I approach them because I don't want them to feel little or blame anyone. I just said, uh, is there something can I do? Mm-hmm. And then they both couldn't speak language, uh, English language. It's funny, and that guy, and I figured it out, they lost all their money somewhere, and uh, then the guy started talking, and girl was very uncontrollable because uh, they would not let them out. The visa had to be paid, the visa fees had to be paid after arrival, and then I told the consulate, I'm going to pay for them, and uh, we just walked out. So I think fortunately, uh, I've never really encountered, but what I do is consciously is, you know, when I go, intent is not to pose that I'm superior or whatever. I just go and say that, hey, let me know if you need any help. Can I do something? And I just hold the space because I don't know what they want. Mm -hmm. And depending on how the conversation flows, what I sense, I take it up from there. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes sense. I I think um, right now more than ever, there's a sensitivity about helping people, about serving people. And 
um, whether we're doing a benefit or insulting somebody. Um, I have had a couple of times where I've tried to approach somebody in that way. And um, Mm. it looks like you could use some help. Can Mm. I do something? And um, only twice. I mean, I wouldn't stop doing it because twice out of the thousand times I've offered twice, I've been, you know, um, I I somehow insulted somebody. So I wouldn't stop doing it, but I would encourage people that when they want to help to be sensitive to whether somebody wants your help. No, I hear you, Sarah. And I think it's very important for one to sense. And I think uh, women have, women have really been adversely impacted with pandemics mm-hmm. Uh and as you rightly said, just two negative instances. And I think if you're just going with the right intent, I feel the other person feels it. And uh, I don't know, I strongly believe. Uh, and in case if things go wrong or things have gone wrong, yes, they have. I'm just remembering as I'm talking to you. Uh, I rather tell myself, be curious. Maybe some experiences have led her to feel right. I don't want to feel negative and discouraged by this one incident and not support anyone. Uh, I would like to empathize with that woman. We don't know her story, right? And I would still not judge her. And I would still be happy I did my part and I will Mm -hmm. move on. Mm -hmm. So tell me about um, something current that you're working on that is lighting you up, that's making you feel like it's serving your purpose, your ikigai. And for our audience, for the listeners, I will include a description of what we're talking about with Ikigai. It's this, um, it's the place where you feel like you are using all of your strengths and your heart and your mind and your energy um, on something that that serves you, that um, fills you with purpose. But anyway, I will include a link to a description of that for our listeners. Thanks, Sarah. So, so in addition to the work that I'm doing, you know, what lights me up again is um, that I'm working with a couple of amazing, ambitious women, and uh, I'm part of their journey, and I feel fortunate that uh, they included me in their journey, and uh, my excitement is seeing them in the top in helping them achieve their goal. Their goal has become my goal. It's our goal right now. So that's one part of it. So I have a couple of women clients and I'm really excited about. And second, which I'm working on is is a program women in uh, leadership. And I don't want to create any cliche programs or something. I'm very clear about it. Uh, It's just that I feel that I've navigated corporate ladder and I did not see any glass ceiling. And again, because of the privilege I came from and not that I didn't have any uh, gender biases. It's just that I didn't realize because I treated that issue like any other issue and not a gender issue. If some men didn't speak well to me, it never occurred to me that, oh, he's talking to me like that because I'm a woman. For me, I didn't like it. And I said I didn't like it, you know, and I don't know how it would help, how it would have helped me if I knew that he's talking to me because I'm a woman. It just doesn't help. Right. So I'm trying to create a program where, you know, I share those experiences and stories. And uh, what do you say? Just a guidebook to navigate corporate ladder. It's, It's all about small things which uh, 
are not spoken about. And like, which, like what, for instance? So, so for me, what I see is, uh, especially for women in the top, it's not the biases which really stop them from growing up. It's the politics in the organizations. Mm. And, and I'm sure for a minute to all my listeners here and to you, Sarah, how does this word feel when I say politics? Ricky. <laughs> I feel that, makes me throw up a little in my mouth. <laughs> I felt that too when I was growing up and I said, you know what? I really can't handle this politics. And thankfully I had a very great mentor and she helped me reframe the definition of politics. So for me, uh, as I'm talking and, and, and I want to help women reframe the definitions too. There's a good politics. There's a bad politics. Wherever mm-hmm. there are people, decision needs to be taken. There would be politics. Politics in service of others is a good politics. So next time when you feel icky, and all this is something which I told myself, ask yourself, are you doing this in service of others or for yourself? You will get your answers. So these are the things I think we women, uh, you know, we shy off and then we just kind of give up, right? So if you really want to get up the ladder, we really need to know how to navigate ways. And Sarah, let me tell you, we all are politicians, right? I can mm-hmm. at least, you know, tell you when I look back as a child, when I wanted a toy, I knew who I need to influence, whether it was my mom or it was my dad or it was my brother, right? Mm-hmm. And I knew whether I needed both of them together or I need one of, needed one of them together, right? So we have been doing all that. And right now in corporate, we're just doing in service of teams and service of organization. So mm-hmm. how is the difference, the politics we were doing at home and saying what to say and who to say and who's the major influencer? How is it different right. from politics and organization? So things like this, I really want to create a guidebook for women. And basically, as I said, my purpose is to see as many women in the top. Mm, yes. Well, that just reminded me of the word manipulation and what a negative context it has. And yet there are times where manipulating a situation or manipulating people can come to great results if the intention is a serve others. And I think about that with um, every kind of communication we have, we are trying to persuade, which is a form of manipulation. And um, I, it makes me a little sad that that word has such a negative context to it, manipulate, because um, I remember when I worked for a, a man who really didn't, he didn't understand social media. And I told him that I needed access to Facebook and he just didn't understand why. And I was a public affairs officer. And at a minimum, I told him I needed to monitor what was being said about our organization. And I couldn't do that if I didn't have access to Facebook. And I remember this moment where I realized I just wasn't speaking his language because he didn't understand social media. So instead, I like you hired me to do this job and you're not giving me the resources to do it. It's kind of like inviting me for 18 holes of golf and giving me a putter. (laughs) I could do it, but it's not going to be fun for anyone. And he laughed out loud. And that was pretty manipulative. I spoke his language. It's not my language. But at the same time, 15 minutes later, I had access to Facebook. So, and that was to the benefit of my community. I wasn't doing that just for me. It didn't matter to me, really. But it was the way that I could do my job the best possible way. 
I love it, Sarah, as you say that. And uh, just like all other women, I too felt at some point in time, manipulation is not great. And I remember saying that I can't handle these manipulations. I can't handle these office politics. And then I think, you know, as you reframe the definition, right? Mm-hmm. Who is in service for, right? To do your job better, to serve others. And I think things got clearer and you can still, you know, manage good politics and good manipulation while maintaining your integrity. So thanks for sharing that, Sarah. I love that. And, you know, having specific stories to describe how things were manipulated or how a person was manipulated in a positive way to shift a mindset or to to shift a framing of a situation. I think those specific stories really help people wrap their heads around when that can be useful and when it's positive versus negative. Interesting. Interesting. So um, just Coming kind of back to this idea of the the two women you're working with, I'm assuming this is a a more formal coaching relationship. Is that accurate? So two formal coaching. Mm -hmm. And uh, so one of them other, I'm just helping. So this has been extended. Usually it's like one on basis if I'm, you know, so, so two formal and one is informal. Okay. And um, what are you doing in particular? to guide or to help them um, see where they can do things differently for different reactions and different um, results? Is there something specific you're working on with one of them? Let me give you an example. I know that when I had a recent coaching client who was trying to interview and was struggling getting past that first interview with the, the recruiter, and within a few minutes, as I understood two Stories didn't really demonstrate her talents. They were good stories, but they, they didn't really demonstrate what she needed to demonstrate in a conversation with a, an interview. And then the other thing was that she wasn't listening very well. And I knew right away what kind of service I could provide for her and, and how it would benefit her. So is there something in particular you're working on with these women? Have you something? They come to you with one thing but it's actually something really so uh, so they both are uh, uh, senior women leaders and uh, amazingly very successful and lovely people and uh, so I think one of them I would say which we will say cliche I think it's all about uh, not being able to self-advocate and uh, so I think that is the self-advocate and all that we talk about how to maneuver around the biases and the challenges that we have. Mm -hmm. So most often when I'm coaching women or men leaders, I notice that these are own inner biases, own beliefs and limitations and patterns, which are not allowing us to step out and see a bigger picture. Mm -hmm. The minute you help them step out of who they are and see how things are, it automatically changes. Mm, Broadens their view. It broadens the view, the perspective. So it's their own, most of them, all of them, 
it's been their own self-limiting beliefs or how they think about themselves. What is their self-regard? There's a data and there's a fact which is saying that, mm-hmm. right? And you and their mm-hmm. own stories and their beliefs. Yeah, they're confirming those limitations. All their stories confirm the limitations. So I think honestly, I really don't have to do much and just holding space for them and for them to realize their strengths who they are, to connect with themselves, what they really want, what is so important for them. Mm-hmm. And where did these beliefs come from? Where are these emotions coming from? Once they understand, I really don't have to do much of work. Mm-hmm. Then it's more like once, you know, you've crossed that barrier, then it's all about, you know, moving forward and creating inspired actions. Mm. Creating inspired actions. I love that. Yeah, sustainability is very important, you know, and I'm very clear. So I, I coach only leaders who are really serious about change because that is the key. There have been times I've had a coaching relationship and I said, I'm not going to continue. Even if you pay me, it doesn't help. I don't really enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's your integrity, right? Knowing that you can't serve this person in the way that they need to be served or knowing that um, they can't be, let's say they don't have the motivation to reach the potential you see in them. I, I've seen that too. And, totally. totally. Yeah, and being able to separate yourself and maybe refer to them to another coach and say, I don't think this relationship is going to serve either of so here are a few names of other people that trust that you may want to reach out to. <laughs> Completely, Sarah. Uh, and even if I see potential, some of them, as you rightly said, you know, uh, you know, you know that okay, right? This is not the right time. And mm-hmm. some of them are not really serious about change till the time it comes from within. Coach cannot do anything, and and I'm and and it's 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 beyond my integrity to be coaching and i've reached out to organizations you know what don't waste your money i'm not coaching this client so exactly exactly i have to tell you one of the funniest things that i've experienced in the last few years as a, a coach working with teams with strengthsfinder is um, so many times in that first workshop it's usually a 3 hour workshop hopefully in person um, i am at, at people, no matter if we have 12 people in the room or 50 people in the room, I'm going to have a a small group that come in, immediately sit down, cross their arms in front of them and lean back in their chairs. And that body language just screams, I'm not interested. (laughs) And every time, every time I walk in and I see those people, it's hard not to focus my attention on them to try to change their minds. It's really hard, but I've learned, (laughs) but I've learned not to try to change their minds. I've learned to really focus on the people who are clearly engaged and enthusiastic and want to learn and grow as humans. And 90% of the time, 95% of the time, when I focus on those people who are already eager for change, the others start to come along for the ride they start to feel that tide and around them and they start to shift. Um, But if I focus too much on the people who clearly don't want to be there, I end up wasting 
so much time, so much energy in a very short opportunity to work with the larger group. Do you find that offense? Absolutely. Very, very beautifully said, Sarah. And that's the reason, you know, so there's a recent uh, client, uh, uh, men leader that I'm coaching. And I said, I'm not going to be coaching you. Right. And he was surprised. And he Mm -hmm. said, you're discouraging me by saying that. I said, uh, yes, I am discouraged because every time I have to follow up and I don't think maybe it's not the right time. Come back to me whenever there's a right time. And automatically after a month, now that guy started following it up. So I really believe what you said. Um, There's a right time and uh, not focusing your energies and being very authentic. I think I could have continued as a coach because it, you know, and I said, that's not really helping me, not neither helping. And then automatically, you know, because the other set of people that I'm coaching within the same organization, and I don't know that they talk to each other or whatever, he's reached out, but I actually stopped giving focus, uh, you know, to this person mm-hmm. completely. Mm, yeah. I wish more coaches would recognize that limitation. And, and it's sometimes it's that I'm not the right coach for them. And um, that that's kind of hard. That's painful for me to admit that there are some people that I'm just not the right coach for. Um, but again, that's that integrity in coaching. And I, I think, unfortunately, because there really isn't anything um, licensure before you can call yourself a coach of any sort, whether it's um, a life coach or a mentor or a business coach, you don't necessarily put your, your shingle out. And um, I think, unfortunately, that that tendency to just keep going with a coaching client, even when you know it's not serving you, it's not serving them, um, c- puts kind of a black mark on the whole um, the whole industry of, of coaches, of people who are trying to serve others. Completely with you, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Hapreet, I would love to hear one story from you before we wrap this up. So tell me about something from your childhood. When you think back now, you realize it was a, a kind of one of those moments that shaped you, who you are now. So I think childhood, as I said, uh, I think it's more about the environment which shaped me who I am. And uh, so that was one heartbreak. I remember when I was 2021 20, and I started my first job. And when I started, let me tell you, I was very courageous, but not as confident was what I am today. I am super high on self-regard, right? But at that time, I remember 21, 22, taking a job. Uh, I don't know if it was lack of confidence, but I remember crying all the time. You know, I was very sensitive when... um, Somebody would not that somebody who said something mean to me or whatever, and even the smallest thing would really hurt me. And I still remember my first manager saying that, Harpreet, go and give it back. Right? Mm-hmm. And she says, I want to be hearing complaints about you that you fought with someone. It was the other way around. <laughs> so, so so, you know, and I, I think that's been, and what she was trying to say was that people will come across and be very assertive and they might not do things which you like, right? Mm-hmm. 
And uh, in a corporate world, how do you manage that and draw boundaries and give it back? So when I look back, when I was 21 and what I am today, I'm 42. And two years back, of course, I quit my corporate career and I started my own coaching and consulting business. But I can tell you, I think I never faced a moment where I felt, of course, there would be times, but it's a very different me, what I was when I started my uh, career. And of course, probably there was a time that I became too aggressive, uh, probably Mm -hmm. around 26, 27. And that was a time again for me to look back, oh my God, what am I doing to myself? You know, Mm -hmm. from extreme softness to uh, getting a bit of aggression. So around late 20s, I connected to myself and more discovery about myself happened around early 30s. And that's the time where, I don't know, I embarked on my self-exploratory journey to connect with who really I am. Mm. Oh, I love that. And I love your boss. (laughs) Don't give it back. Give it back to them. That's not yours to hold on to. My sister said that one time when I was complaining about something. She said, Sarah, baggage doesn't belong to you. Take it out of the trunk. (laughs) Put it on the side of the road and leave it there. It's not yours. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Oh my gosh. Harpreet, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I'm looking forward to hearing our um, any any comments from our listeners. How will they get a hold of you if they want to learn more about you? And Listeners, don't worry. We will have all of this in the show notes. But why don't you go ahead and tell us how pretty, please. <laughs> so definitely they can be in touch with me uh, on LinkedIn. And as I've been saying, I'm very biased towards women. I will definitely get back and reply to each of the messages. So definitely, I think LinkedIn is the best way to connect and uh my email ID with Sarah, I think you can share with them. It's Harpreet at unapologeticallyharpreet.com. And, unapologeticallyharpreet.com. I love that. <laughs> We're going to end this episode of Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will, with my favorite quote by Madeline Albright. There's a special place in hell for women who don't support other women. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, Harpreet. Cheers to the sisterhood. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, listeners. I've had a fantastic time with you, Sarah. Are you ready to start your story portfolio so you have the right story ready to share when the opportunity presents itself? When you're ready to get started, my book, Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will, is available in all the regular places. And the audiobook version is available on Google Play and on my website, elkinsconsulting.com. As a special bonus for listeners, the audiobook includes two songs recorded by my band, Spare Change, in my living room in Montana. Also on my website is a free podcast interview checklist. It's available to download to make sure you make the most out of your next podcast interview. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to rate the podcast and leave a review and let me know that you've done it so I can thank you properly. Thank you.